maybe we should just go ahead and move into the invitation. Wow. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much to the Lord and thank you to the team. Thank you to the team. I've, I've heard it said um, in, in different ways. They say it like this. You people go to church Sunday after Wednesday after Sunday. You sing different songs. You listen to different messages. But you always turn into that, that same book. That old, ancient book. And you know what they're saying? You know what they're asking? They're asking, is that old, ancient book still relevant for my life today? Is it still practical for my life today? And don't get hung up on the phrase or the term ancient book. Because this book is more than an ancient book. This book is timeless truth. It goes beyond the realm of time that you and I live in. This book goes into the realm of the eternal. And so when people say, well, this is an ancient book. Yes, it is. It is old. But it is a timeless book. That Bible that you hold in your hand. Repeat with me. This is a timeless book. This is a timeless book. It is, this is a timeless book. Take your copy of God's Word and um, just let it fall open. Close it first and then just let it fall open. Let it fall open anywhere. Just let it fall open anywhere. I am curious, did anyone's Bible fall open to the book of Lamentations? Anybody? We've got one person. We might give you a gift card after the service. Because this, this book is probably the least read book in the Bible. It's, it's the book that preachers preach on less than any other book that is preached on. It's short, it's tiny, it's just five verses, but it is the most neglected book in the Bible, which just challenges you. You just have to go there and open it. And when you read it, there's, there's, there's reasons why some people avoid it. Because a lot of lamentations is a funeral dirge. It is grief, it is pain, it's crying, it's, it's overwhelming expression of deep, deep sorrow, it's wailing, it's, it's regret, deep regret over actions that have been taken and the result, the consequences of those actions that have been taken. The reason that Jeremiah wrote Lamentations, which the context of that is in Jeremiah chapter 52, Jeremiah is a long book, as long as Psalms really, Lamentations is a short book. The reason that Jeremiah wrote Lamentations was because the nation of Israel was literally dying. It was a time of unimaginable calamity. The, de the death of a nation, I don't know that any of us in this room really can appreciate what that feels like, what that looks like. It's a, it's a terrible, life-altering, gut-wrenching horror. To watch your nation die before your eyes. Life as you know it is ending right before your eyes. There's nothing else like it. It was July 586 B.C. Babylonians came to town. Actually for about two years they laid siege to Jerusalem. 
I won't describe to you all of the horrors, but when you read the book, I mean, when it is so bad that mothers will boil and eat their children to feed their families, that's how bad part of it was. And in the midst of that destruction, Jeremiah writes this book. It's not the only time that... that a nation went code blue in the ICU of history. I mean, it's happened multiple times. Um, Rome, for instance, you know, that was in rule when Jesus was born. Um, Rome that stood like a steel sentinel for a thousand years. An army wouldn't even march across their lands, let alone storm their gates. But in, in 410 AD, Alaric and the Goths, or the Visigoths showed up at town. And in three days, in three days, they laid Rome to ruin. Three days. It's happened all throughout history. The ancient Persians, the ancient Babylonians, of course, the Assyrians, Rome. In, in, in the last several decades, the French republics, there's been European nations and on and on and on and on. But these nations that have refused to listen to God and would shake our fist in his face and say, God, you leave me alone. Let me live like I want to live. Let me raise my family like I want to raise my family. Let me do this God thing the way that I want to do this God thing. God, you, they shake their fist in the face of God. It never turns out good. It never turns out good. It, it's, it, is, it is horrible to watch a nation die. So that's what Jeremiah writes lamentations about. Most of it is a funeral dirge. Chapter 1 is a funeral dirge. Chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4 is a funeral dirge. And, and of course there's stuff in between all of that. But in chapter 5 it changes. In chapter 5 Jeremiah goes from a funeral dirge to a prayer. A heartfelt prayer to a God who's listening. And listen, he's listening He's always listening. When, when you're looking for him, he's, he's, he's already been watching you. When you're calling his name, he's listening. And what I have noticed is that the people who say that God doesn't hear us are the same people who spend very little time actually talking to him. And there's nothing like a national calamity to drive people to their knees and to drive people to call out to him. Lamentations, hard book, because it was hard times. But, but in this book, there is a life pattern to follow. Guys, Lamentations is not about, well, a few little nice devotional thoughts to get you through the week. Lamentations is about, this is a life pattern to follow. For, for anybody, for any nation, for any individual, for any church member. For, th this, is a, this is a great life pattern. But before we read... It's important to do this one thing because when you come to a book like Lamentations, you have to, you have to do this because so many people avoid this, this five-chapter book. And I understand why they avoid it. Uh, they avoid it because of their failure to do one simple thing. If you do this one simple thing, all of a sudden, oh, that makes sense. All of a sudden, the light starts coming on. All of a sudden, you see the relatability, the, the relevance. If you do this one simple thing, but so much of the time, people fail to do this one simple thing. So I, I just want to commend to you, every time you open any page in the Word of God, always seek to understand the context of the text. Always seek to understand what was happening at that place, in that time, at that location in the history, in, our history, in their history. Why were they, what was going on in their lives? Because when you understand what was happening, all of a sudden, 
oh, that makes sense. And if you don't understand the context, you'll start reading books like Lamentations and you'll go, well, that's not a verse I'd put on my refrigerator. Like, let me read this one. I bet this is not a refrigerator verse. This is out of Lamentations. Jeremiah says, now this will bless you. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. Then I thought, my future is lost. As well as my hope from the Lord. Didn't you feel blessed as I read that? You won't put that verse on your refrigerator. That verse would be rather discouraging if you didn't understand the context of that text. But when you understand the context in which it's written, and if you don't know the context, well, just close your Bible and don't worry about it. No, if you, if you don't know the context, just do a little research. You'll find the context and all of a sudden lights will start coming on. All of a sudden this book this timeless truth, it starts coming alive on the page. It, it, it does that. What I, like many of you, have found is that this book, the problem is never this book. The, it is never the Bible. My, my problem is always my understanding. My problem is my misunderstanding. The problem is never the book. It's always us. And so I'm going to trust him even when I don't understand something. I'm going to trust him even when I don't like what's going on. Because that's the context of Lamentations. And, and, and Jeremiah lays down this life pattern. Did I mention life pattern? Did I mention for you, for all of you, for all of us, for all who are watching, for all of life? It's a life pattern. And uh, I need to say this. The first four things in the life pattern, I'm just going to mention them basically. And I'm going to spend most time on the fifth one. But don't, don't mistake that for meaning that these other four are less important just because he spent most time on number five. That's, that's not the case. They're all equally important. But the life pattern that Jeremiah lays down in his generation and for all generations is this. Number one, you see this in chapter one. Confess your sins. Confess my sins. He says that. He says that in chapter one. Jerusalem has sinned grievously. That's what he says. Life pattern number one is confess my sins. Confess, say the same thing about my sins that God says about my sins. That's what confession is. Confess my sins. Chapter two, oh, go ahead and do it. Just admit that God is right. He is right. He was right. He is right. He'll be right this afternoon. He'll be right tomorrow. He'll be right a thousand years from now. He'll be right a billion, trillion, trillion, quintillion hexaquatrillion, megaquatrillion, frillion, time-long eternity. He'll still be right. He's never wrong. There's some things that God can't do. God can't sin. God doesn't make a mistake. God's never puzzled. God never gets it wrong. He always gets it right. Jeremiah says, would you just admit that God is right? I've done that thing of trying to convince him of my grandiose plan for whatever. And he goes, what? Go, but, but God, here's my big plan. Are you an idiot? My ways are better than your ways. My, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As high as the heavens is above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts better than your thoughts. Why don't you just go ahead and admit that I'm wrong? No. Why don't you just go ahead and admit that God is right? 
He's always right. Chapter 3, Jeremiah says to us, declare that God is faithful. Now we're talking about a life pattern. We're talking about a pattern for doing life. And Jeremiah says, confess your sins, admit that God is right, declare that he's faithful. And in chapter 3, part of the sense of chapter 3, Jeremiah is trying to teach us, you can declare what you feel to be true, or you can declare what you know is true based on what God says. There's a difference between the two. God, here's what I feel. Feelings and faith are at sometimes eternal juxtaposed poles. They, sometimes feelings and faith don't have anything to do with each other. Because my feelings, my feelings. So Jeremiah says, we need to learn to declare not what we feel, but declare what is true. So I'll give an example. I'm laying in the ditch. It's a deep ditch. It's, 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 it's bloody and it stinks and it's horrible and, and I'm bruised and I'm broken. I got blood coming out of my eyes. It's, I can't even see. I'm, I'm, I'm hurting. I'm angry. I'm crying out and, and I'm laying there in the ditch and, and what I feel is impossible for, to, for me to describe to you. But for some of you, you get it. For the rest of you, just trust me. Can't describe it to you. And when I finally get the blood out of my eyes, I see this light. And I look over to my right hand. He just always loves standing at your right hand. And I see the Shekinah glory of my Jesus. I see him standing there. And he puts his hand on my shoulders and he says, I, I know what you feel. I know what you feel. And, 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 and he got down there in the ditch in the mud with me and he put his arms around me and, and for the longest time he just cried. He didn't, he didn't say a word. But when he did say a word, he said, I know what you feel. But Mike, what do you know to be true? I changed everything. God, here's what I feel. Sometimes when you do that, here's what I feel, here's what I think. And then he says, but what do you know to be true? <laughs> Jeremiah, in chapter 3, you get over to verse 14 and he says, I'm a laughing stock. People are mocking me. They're saying all kinds of things about me. I just, I just don't feel very good right now. I don't feel, feel, feel very good. Jeremiah says, you declare what is true, not what you feel. Because sometimes what you feel is not, is, is, is not true. So, for instance, well, you got it open now. Jeremiah writes Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3. Just a handful of verses. Because this is what Jeremiah knows to be true. Lamentations chapter 3. Matter of fact, some of these we read at the beginning of the service. But, but verse 21. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. See, he's thinking about what is true now, not just what he feels. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we don't perish. For his mercies, they never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to the Lord, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It's good to quietly wait for deliverance from the Lord. It's good for a man to bear the yoke while he's still young. Hop down to verse 31. For the Lord will not reject us forever. 
Even if he causes suffering, he will show compassion according to his abundant, faithful love. Wow, this is a verse we ought to circle. He does not enjoy bringing affliction or suffering on mankind. Because that's what a lot of people think. God likes doing it. No, he doesn't. He doesn't enjoy bringing affliction or suffering on mankind. Jump down to verses 40 and 41, chapter 3. Let us search out and examine our ways. That confession thing. And turn back to the Lord. Let, let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God who is in heaven. Do you see what he says? He's declaring that God is faithful. He jumps over to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, very quickly he says, Demand the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Demand the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Because Jeremiah says to the preachers, he doesn't back up from anything. He says to the preachers, guys, we are suffering because you haven't told us the truth. You've just told us what we wanted to hear. You think that's a problem in our generation? Preachers and those before the camera, those, is, those before the congregation, those before the crowd, there are always people who refuse to say what God says. And in the churches, in the, among the preachers, Jeremiah would say, and he says it here in chapter 4, you guys have brought suffering on us because you just told us what we wanted to hear. I know honestly it would temporarily temporarily be easier to just gather Sunday after Wednesday and, um, and, let, and let's, let's just talk about I'm okay, you're okay. Let's talk about the happy stuff. Let's talk about the things that just make us feel good. Let's, let's address, let's only address what makes us feel comfortable. Lord, give me comfort. Give me comfort. And if we do that, we will raise up a generation of spiritually stunted dwarfs. We're not going to do that here. We're not going to do that among the children. We're not going to do that among the students. We're not going to do that among the adults. We're not going to do that from the cradle to the grave. We are not going to seek to just tell you part of it. We're not going to seek to just live part of it because a half-truth is as deadly as a full lie. Jeremiah says, tell the whole truth. What does, God, what does God say? And so as a people of God, we say, we will settle for nothing less the entire, than the entire counsel of God as revealed in His Word. And so we say, we refuse to listen to any voice that lowers the Word of God and raises the voice of society or the voice of culture. The voice of society, the voice of culture is not above this. That Hollywood star, what they think is not above this. That, that preacher that just tells you half of it, he's not above this. That television personality, that actor, those people that we love to watch, that sports figure. God says through Jeremiah, declare the whole truth. Nothing but the whole truth. All 66 books, all 1,189 chapters, all 31,102 verses. The whole thing, including lamentations. Yeah. 
Even lamentations. We're going to include lamentations. So what Jeremiah does in this, here's how you live life. He says in chapter 1, confess your sins. In chapter 2, admit that God is right. Chapter 3, declare that God is faithful. Chapter 4, demand the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Chapter 5, he keeps it pretty simple. Not that it's easy. Just a four-letter word starts with the word P and ends with the word Y. What do you think in Jeremiah chapter 5 he calls his people to do? He says you pray. So, so three key prayer actions that come out of chapter 5. I won't read verses 1 through 18, but it's in verses 1 through 18. Um, what Jeremiah says to Israel is, Israel, let's pray a prayer of confession, not complaint. Because Israel was famous for complaining. I mean, they had a great history of complaining. You remember God says, I'm, I'm going to deliver you from Pharaoh, the greatest nation on the planet at the time. I'm going to deliver you from Pharaoh. And, and, and Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of a 400-year slavery. And they get out there and they start running into hard times. And, whoa, I wish we'd have stayed in Egypt. We could have died there. Moses, you're killing us. God, what are you doing? That's where the phrase comes. Would you like some wine with that cheese? Um, it, com it comes out of that, that experience. And, and Israel had, they just had this reputation for being whiners, being complainers. But when you get to this national calamity where the nation has died, all of a sudden they're confessing. They're not complaining. They've lost their land. They've lost their inheritance. They've lost their possessions. They've lost their homes, their jobs, many of them their health, a ton of them their lives. Their wives have been raped. Their, their children have been carried off into slavery. There is, there is a personal loss that I can't even describe to you. And Jeremiah confesses, Lord, we have walked in the sins of our fathers and now we are paying a terrible price. But you don't hear Israel complaining now. Because they have woken up to the fact that we cannot willingly live sinful lives without crippling ourselves and crippling those who come behind us. If Jeremiah was standing here today, because he's the kind of guy that when he walks in the room, there's just thunder that comes with him. And when he talks to you in this booming voice, it's like a sledgehammer hitting you right between the eyes. And if Jeremiah walked into this room today, he would look at us and he would look over the history of men and he would say things like this to us. He would say to God's people, parents, don't be surprised when one day your child walks away from the church because they listen to you complain and criticize the house of God for so long that they determine that's not for me. Don't be surprised, he would say, when your children sit at your kitchen table and say, I'm done with God because they've watched your casual attitude toward the very things that God sent his son to die for. That's the kind of stuff Jeremiah says. He doesn't just talk about the happy stuff. He talks about the things that bring happiness, that bring lasting joy, that bring restoration, that brings renewal. He talks about that stuff. Because he knows from generations past and he, he, and he knows what's going to happen in the future. And here it is. What is neglected in one generation is abandoned by the next generation. I, I, cannot, I cannot make some decisions. I will not make some choices. Not because 
I don't have the liberty in Christ to make them, but I don't want to cripple somebody who's coming up behind me. I will not do that. I will not betray the generation of the children. And, and Israel is learning when we walk in the sins of our fathers, our sons and our daughters, as well as our own lives, it pays a terrible price. Israel is broken. But there's some good stuff that comes out of broken. I love a lot of different translations. I read a lot of different translations. The message is one of them. Just listen to this verse. It's out of chapter 5. It comes out of the translation called The Message. When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself, enter the silence, bow in prayer, don't ask questions, wait for hope to answer. Say, that's good. Chapter 5, verse 29. Israel is broken, but broken can lead to a lot of good things. I mean, there's an important life truth that Jeremiah is trying to teach us here. You know, the enemy, he comes in. The enemy breaks you in order to break you. God sometimes uses brokenness and leads us to restoration through it. There's a big difference between the two. The way that I, I'd, I'd say it is... You know, sometimes God will bruise you in order to bless you. You don't like that. I don't either. Our son Aaron, he didn't like it. Um, it was one of our conversations. Um, he and I were sitting at the kitchen table and he was struggling with, he was struggling with life and he was making terrible choices. And the consequences were so that all this stuff in his life was falling apart, falling apart in him, falling apart around him, falling apart to him. And I looked at him and I said these words. I quote, this is what I said to him, Aaron, God will bruise you in order to bless you. And he knew what that meant. He knew that his earthly father and his heavenly father loved him too much to leave him alone. And he knew that pain was heading his way if he didn't turn his heart and his feet back to God. And it made him mad. Because he didn't want bad consequences to follow bad decisions. Maybe there should be a verse in the Bible that says something like, you reap what you sow. Be careful, sin will find you out. He didn't want bad consequences to follow bad decisions. And to be honest, that's the plight of men. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do it how I want to do it. God, when it comes to this, just take your hands off and leave me alone. I, I'm going to figure this out. God, I'm going to... That's the big phrase. I'm going to figure this out. God's going, I've already got it figured out and I can tell you where this leads and you're not going to like it. You're not, you're not going to like part of getting there and when you get there, you're really going to hate what it looks like. And a lot of other people will too. He didn't want bad consequences to follow bad decisions but that is always the way of things if I return to God if I confess my sins he, he restores and he renews and, and he replaces but if I refuse if I rebel if I stand there all stiff necked, God I'm going to do what I want to do and in his heart and in his life there was such a battle there was this ancient battle of confessing my waywardness and committing my life and he was in a battle and, and, and he was fighting the very God who was fighting for him and uh, 
I believe it was his friend Caleb, a dear friend of our family. I believe it was the day of Aaron's funeral that Caleb gave us this note. This was words that earlier Aaron had written to him. Bro, I'm going to leave out some of Aaron's words because some of these words aren't Bible words and it's when he was going through a hard time. So um, I'm going to substitute some words, but uh, I'm reading it like Aaron wrote it, except for those other words. Aaron writes to Caleb. He says, bro, something happened to me last night. Lately, I've been PO'd and down about life and how boring my life is. But I was at a college church event last night. And in the middle of worship, God told me he needed to talk to me. So I walked outside and listened. He changed my perspective, dude. And I woke up this morning with a whole new mindset. Instead of thinking I have a not so good job, I realized I have a job that God provided as a stepping stone. I'm not thinking about how small and boring my truck is because I realize that God has given me that truck because right now it's what I need. I'm not ticked off about being single because God's told me he's not only protecting me from girls, but he's protecting girls from me because I'm not where I need to be in order to be in a relationship. There's a lot of things I could say to those of you under 20 right now, but just I hope you hear what he says. I've been praying for contentment lately, and he told me last night not to be content where I am, but to burn for him and strive to know him more. He asked me last night what I wanted, and I said, well, I wanted money and a nice truck and a girl, and he reminded me that he has all that. He created all that, and that he will bless me if I seek and focus on him. He said that he will make me a greater man than I ever thought I could be if I will walk with him and I will live for him. I know that's a lot to read, but blank, it was pretty awesome, bro. He was so close. Had he listened to the God who was speaking to him and he heard God speak, and all he had to do was take those two steps. Confess, commit. Confess, commit. Confess, commit. I think that's why God gave us two feet, two legs, two hands, two arms, two eyes. Two, because two things in life, in this life, we've got to get right. There's a lot of things that are really small on the scale of what's important. But those two things are tsunami big. Confess, commit. Confess, commit. I hope it haunts you in a good way over the next few days. Every time you walk in, all I can think of is confess, commit. Confess, commit. Confess, commit. Confess, commit. Confess, commit. Had he just done those two things. And I know that those two things aren't, aren't easy. But come on, it's, it's better than the mess you've been walking in, isn't it? I, I, and I know your question. And dear people, I don't have the answer. Why didn't Aaron take God up on his offer? He heard God speak and knew what he needed to do. And I quote, Aaron wrote, he reminded me that he has all that. He created all that. And that he will bless me if I will seek him and focus on him. He said he will make me a greater man than I ever thought I could be if I will walk with him and live for him. It's too late for my Aaron. Five years, five months, five days, 11 hours. It's too late for him. It's not too late for you. 
And it's not how low you get. It's who you're talking to when you get there. And personally, I just think it's, I'm better off listening to my Savior than I am listening to the serpent. That's worth the cost of admission today just right there. And Jeremiah would, would caution us. He would say, people, you don't have the rest of your life to make this decision. You don't. You don't. So the second thing he says in chapter 5, well, we're going to read this one. Look down, Lamentations chapter 5. Look down at verse 21. Lamentations chapter 5, verse 21. Because the second thing he says, after a prayer of confession, not complaining, is, is a prayer of restoration. And this isn't pretense. This is not just saying a little prayer and going on with your life. And This is heartfelt prayer. God, would you restore Lamentations chapter 5, verse 21. Lord, restore us to yourself so that we may return. Renew our days as in former times. And the word that, that Jeremiah uses, the word restore in the Hebrew, is the same word from which we get in the English, repent. That's the word that he uses. And he's not saying, God, take us back to what we used to be, to what we used to have. He's saying, God, would you take us to a place that we have never been because restoration, that word right there, restoration is the work of God. It, it builds a future worth having. You want a future worth having, don't you? Because restoration is the work of God. It, it breaks the chains that hold you prisoner. It, it literally changes the trajectory of your life. Uh, restoration brings about a new hope and a new thought pattern in your head and in your heart. It brings about a new resolve. Jeremiah says, I'm paraphrasing it. Lord, I want in my life what you want for my life. I want to experience what you alone can do. But Mike, I've, I've, made, I've made a mess of this. Well, sure you have. You think God's got a solution? God's solution for my problem and my mess and my mistakes and all that is Calvary. He didn't give us a lot of solutions. He gave us one solution. He didn't give us a hundred places to go. He gave us one place to go. And that place to go is Calvary. And honestly, I don't think that your mess could hold a candle to the mess that Jeremiah and the people of Israel are living through. And God is disciplining them. You know, when we read Hebrews chapter 12, we love there. You know, therefore, since we're in camp and, and we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and he goes on, let us hold fast the confession of our faith. Let's fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Run this race with it. We love those, we love those, those passages. But when you read on down in Hebrews chapter 12, there's other things that God says. And one of the things that God says is this. When I rebuke, when I chastise, when I discipline my children, it is never for the purpose of destroying them. It's always for the purpose of restoring them. It's never for destruction. It's, it's always for restoration. You know, Jeremiah said that God doesn't get any pleasure out of disciplining his people. I know that whatever God does, whatever God allows in my life is always ultimately going to be for my good and for his glory. And I, I, live, I live in that. Number three, look down in verse 19. Actually, from where you are to be up in verse 19. Third thing that Jeremiah says is, 
well, let's read it. Lord, you, Lord, are enthroned forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. What he's talking about, that is a prayer of confidence and faith in the God who loves us and the God who leads us. It's not fear. It's confidence and it's faith. Jeremiah says, you, Lord, you are enthroned forever. You're sovereign, you're mighty, you're almighty, you're in charge, you're exalted, you are exalted. Our confidence is not in our condition. Our confidence is in our king. It's a good way to live. Our faith is in you. Our faith is in you alone. Our God reigns. The hope of Israel has not faded. And when the Bible talks about the hope of Israel, it's not talking about Israel is just hoping for a better day to come along. The hope of Israel has a name. His name is God. He is Israel's hope. He was Jeremiah's hope. He is our hope. And even in the, in the darkest of days, he's working. It's, it's beautiful because when you see the context of the text, I know Jerusalem is laying in, in ruin and Jeremiah said so many incredible things to us today. Some of them hard to hear. Some of them, well, they're all a blessing. But Jeremiah, he starts shining a spotlight around. And he says, listen, God is working. I know this is a mess, but God is working. For instance, Babylon comes to town, raises, rapes, kills, pilfers, destroys, tears down, does all this, carries a whole bunch of Israel off into captivity. Look at that line of captives that's going back to Babylon, headed east, going back to Babylon. If you look carefully, you'll see four young boys, 13, 14 year old. One of them's name's Daniel, one's Mishael, another's Azariah, another's Hananiah. We know them as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. People say, God, you're not working. You're not working. You need to change this situation. God, where are you? Where are you? And God says, let me show you where I am. I know you got a mess right here, but I'm, I'm working because Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego were getting ready to bring Babylon to her knees and turn her face to God. You tell me God's not working. He is working. That's why Jeremiah talks about this is a prayer of confidence and this is a prayer of faith. God has not abandoned us. He will endure forever, forever. Don't you forget this, dear people of God. Our God reigns in the rain. Our God, R-E-I-G-N-S. Our God reigns in the rain, R-A-I-N. And that rain, that rain of battle, that rain of discouragement, that rain of life that, that tries to wash away your hope and leave you buried underneath that mudslide of failure, you just remember, my God reigns. And my God is working. My God reigns. Say those words with me. My God reigns. Look at the person beside you say, your God reigns. And the question is, well, which reign am I going to live under? Am I going to live under the reign of God or am I going to live under the reign of circumstances? I choose to live under the reign of the Almighty God who is sovereign, who is perfect, who is powerful, who is present, who is faithful, who is loving, who is good, who is holy, and who is here. I choose to live under that reign rather than, oh man, look how rough life is. Well, sure, life is rough. 
I choose to believe that there is a God who stands and there's a God who's working. People in Israel, they might go in Jericho in that day, they might go, I, I, don't, I don't see God working. I don't see God working. And Jeremiah say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look over there by the river Kabar. Look, look at that boy. God is, God is raising up this child of Israel. Safer Yaquez Kael is his name. That's the best that a southern boy can say in Hebrew. <laughs> the name that his father and mother gave him. In English, his name is Ezekiel. Ezekiel. You know, whenever you see the, the, the letters E-L in a name, Ezekiel. E-L is El, Elohim, God. His, his name means, I will live under, get this, the strength of God. That, that boy would grow up to be a man who would be one of the greatest preachers and prophets that's ever walked the face of this planet. He would write an incredible book, book called Ezekiel. He would do so many incredible things in his life. He is a reminder when all this mess is happening around Israel, God is still working. Look over there in Babylon. Those, those guys carried off into captivity, those four boys, but they don't know what they got. And I repeat, how old were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego? How old were they when they were carried off into captivity? Man, you, I, you didn't get, get that. Did somebody say 13? 14 years old? You tell me God can't change a nation through a teenager, I'll tell you, you are nuts. The whole history of the world shows that any man, any woman, any age, any race, any continent, God can use them to change the course of history and to transform the lives of men and women and boys and girls if they will say, I'm going to walk for you and I'm going to stand for you and I'm going to listen to my Christ. I'm not going to listen to this culture. And God, would you use my life to make a difference? And God says, you just watch what I'm going to do. You just watch what I'm going to do. God is, he's working. He's not giving Israel a play-by-play -play of everything, but, but he's, he's working. And I close with, I'm making up his name, but, but I'm, I'm watching in my mind's eye, I'm watching Jeremiah and Ibrahim sitting in the dirt on the hillside there in Jerusalem overlooking all of this destruction. And I can hear Ibrahim saying to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I've lost my job. I've lost my house. I've lost my health. And Jeremiah says, Abram, I'm so sorry, but you haven't lost your God. Abram says, Jeremiah, I've, I've lost my family. Jeremiah says, I am so sorry, but you have not lost your God. Abram says, Jeremiah, I've, we've lost a nation. We've lost a nation. And Jeremiah, who's known as the weeping prophet, he cries his heart out alongside of Abram, and he says, I know, Abram, we've lost a nation, but we have not lost God. And that God is about renewal and restoration. That God is about redemption. And I will follow that God to the end of my days. And one day I will open my eyes and I will see Him face to face. And I will see the truth then, as I know the truth is now, that He reigns in the rain. That's my God. That's your God.
Would you pray with me? Father, in this place today, we're challenged by the words of this ancient book, this timeless truth. And Father, in this place today, there are decisions that we have to make. And for some of us, it means a change of direction, a change of heart, a change of mind. And Father, I pray that, that, that in this room that you would give courage to many who need to change the direction of their walking, to confess, to commit, to yield their lives to the sovereign God who will walk with them through the living of the days. Nobody look around, but if, if, if this is you, if, if you need to say to him, Lord Jesus, this thing I've been doing hasn't been working and I, I want to confess my sin to you and today I want to commit and give my life to you. Would you just tell him? Tell him where you're seated. Tell him right now. Just tell him. And tell him, Lord, for the rest of my life, by your power, I am going to live and walk with you. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for accepting me. I thank you for hearing this prayer of confession and commitment. And Lord Jesus, today, I want to make you the Lord of my life. I thank you that you are enough, that your blood is enough, that Calvary is enough, that your spirit in me is enough. God, today I commit my life to you. And I pray that you would show me how to walk under your reign. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.